Hello and welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And in today's episode, I have a wonderful chat with Mrs. Emma Fredino, formerly Snowsill. And she's a multiple world champion, 2008 Olympic gold medalist, 2006 Commonwealth Games gold medalist, one of the all-time greatest athletes in the sport of triathlon. And Emma is incredibly passionate. She recognized her ability and her talents really earlier in her life. And by the age of 22, she won the world championships for the first time in 2003. A few things I loved about this chat was first, her her belief in herself and and taking 100% responsibility for what she needed to do to become the world's greatest athlete, especially on that day in 2008 Olympic Games. The second thing I love about this interview and this chat that we have is her mental strategies and the ability to visualize and use word affirmations. It's something that's very close to my heart and something that I truly believe in. And if you're just curious about that part, you can go straight to about a, an hour 18. I think we start discussing some of that, but it really was incredible what she had to say. Um, if I'd love to hear from you guys. So, you know, if you want to give me any feedback, I'd really appreciate it. Um, you can do that either on your, your app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of that. Give me any reviews. It'd be wonderful. Or you can do it on any of my social media platforms, um, at Greg Bennett World or um, on, on Instagram or Greg Bennett One on Twitter. And, um, yeah, for any of the show notes, or timestamps or links, you can find those at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. So if you'd rather just get to certain points in this chat, then you can find the timestamps on the media page of our website. Um, Enjoy this one, guys. I really did. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to my friends at Athletic Greens that helped make this show possible. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. You see, when I retired from professional sport, I thought, oh, great, I, I won't have to worry about any more injuries and sickness would be a thing of the past. But as it would happen, I felt like my immune system decided to retire as well. So I was looking for something that was easy to use and that would support my immunity, boost my energy and just help with my recovery and my gut health. And and I found that with Athletic Greens. And honestly, I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I love it. And there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water. So there's no clumpiness to deal with. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc nitrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. Look, even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional needs, but that's where Athletic Greens can really help. Their daily drink is like a nutritional insurance for your body. It's NSF certified for sport and there's no harmful chemicals, no GMOs, no funny additives. Honestly, I can't recommend Athletic Greens enough. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system or address your gut health, now's a perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. There's a great offer going on now for you to give a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free daily travel packs with your first purchase. That's a $79 added value. And Athletic Greens is delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. 
I want to also give a huge shout out to my mushroom buddies at Four Sigmatic that are just tremendous supporters of this show and an incredible wellness company that's mixing shrooms and aptogens with coffee, cocoa, latte, protein powder, and even edible skincare products. Personally, I've been using Four Sigmatic for years, and one of my staples is the mushroom coffee with the lion's mane instead of just regular coffee. And wow, I just love how much more productive and creative and clear thinking I am. And, and I don't get the jitters or the midday crash. Plus, it includes chaga, which is the king of all the mushrooms. Right now, chaga is my favorite functional mushroom. The compounds and antioxidant properties of chaga just play such a huge role in supporting our immune system and maintaining its function. And you're probably thinking, ah, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? And I can guarantee you it tastes just like regular coffee and not like mushrooms at all. And even the lion's mane elixir, which I take regularly on its own, is sweet and smooth. And best of all, Four Sigmatic stands behind all their products unconditionally with a 100% money-back guarantee. So love every sip or just get your money back. And of course, we have a special offer for you, the Be With Champions listener. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Greg or enter code Greg at checkout. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash Greg to receive 15% off your order. All right. Today's a guest I've been really excited to get on the show. She's not only one of the greatest triathletes of all time, she's a longtime friend and a, a person I truly respect and admire. A brief look at some of her highlights of her career, it's truly remarkable. Three-time ITU world champion, Commonwealth Games champion in 2006, Olympic champion in the Beijing Olympics in 2008, and awarded the Order of Australia in 2009. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Be With Champions. Mrs. Emma Fredino. How are you, Emma? <laughs> oh, thanks, GB. It's um it's it's so good to finally talk to you. And um, yeah, all those sort of accolades certainly seem to go back a little while now. But um yeah, it's um nice to talk to someone that's well, was also a big part of my career and um yeah, spent a lot of time around both you and Laura. So it's um feels nice to just talk to talk and have a chat with friends. <laughs> it is. It's a bit like that. I think we're all craving some social interaction oh, after being yeah. sort of in lockdown for a little bit. Sure. I, I mean, I can't wait to take this show so I can be in person and sharing a glass of wine with you and sitting on the couch and just and just recording a conversation. But for now it's remote and I think all podcasts and all these things have become virtual and remote so it's kind of the new world we're in right now and hopefully things will start lifting a bit but it was crazy doing homework for this it was uh amazing to look back so far like I I don't mean it in I don't mean to age just too quickly in the show but it was like wow three and I'm six and eight and nine and it's hard to believe they're 10 years ago 15 years ago it still feels like yesterday to me oh I I, I you know what point is it that you have to figure out, okay, what year is it? What year am I born? And you're like, really? Did I work that out right? Like, is did I get the math there? Because <laughs> you're right. I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, you know, 10 years of Beijing passed two years ago and, like, it just blows my mind that, um, yeah. that yeah, the, that life speeds us by so quickly. But um, certainly, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's nice to reminisce, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. It's funny talking about <laughs> – I, I, you know, when you have to fill out those forms when you go online and you put your name in, and then they they want to know your date of birth. And I'm to the point now I have to keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I'm like, oh, come on! You're like, there's people born in the 2000s that can fill out this form. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I know. 
I mean, I have yeah, plenty of nieces and nephews and things that are now, you know, graduating college and are in the workforce or whatever. And, you know, they're born in 98, 99, 2000 even. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on anyway? Where are you at the moment? Um, I'm in Girona in Spain. So, um, yeah, we've had the, what, seven weeks of, of lockdown this week. It's just started easing or the kids were sort of were allowed out the week prior. And um, yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy world, unusual usual times for for us all. And um, yeah, I guess particularly sport, like it's you know something that I wouldn't ever say we've taken for granted. But the outside freedom, um, when it's been such a big part of your life, is something you know I think any of us have noticed. And um, you know, I'm obviously not doing it for a job anymore, um, but it's just you know it's it's what what's a part of you, you know, that fix of fresh air and and getting those endorphins going so um yeah it'll be it'll be nice to like you said to sit down in person and, and have some chats with people and you know face-to-face conversations because as, as much as this is great it's a wonderful tool it's um we certainly are um yeah really lacking that human human interaction and it's um yeah it's it's what we're about that's what human beings are about mm. yeah in spain you guys really had a, a dramatic lockdown i think uh I know for Australians, I keep looking down there and they're all kind of out biking and running. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys aren't really on lockdown. <laughs> Whereas, kind of like normal Aussie life, just to. <laughs> yeah, you just got no competitions. That's all, <laughs> yeah. that's all that's happened. And maybe the pool's shut. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, I, I feel like I've seen you guys sort of. Obviously, your husband, Jan Fredino, for people who don't know, is a professional athlete and Ironman, multiple Ironman world champion, and all, all of that. Um, but he did an Ironman indoors the other week, and that was that was insane. I saw you come across the screen a few times and with your banana bread yeah. and all sorts of things that you're offering. <laughs> oh, look, it's um, yeah. I mean, if if we'd been competing in this time, you know, you just you kind of have to find something to to you know make you keep going, and and it's hard when you know you've been an athlete and you're so used to goal setting and and knowing races and and adapting, but this is just a completely different adaption. And um, yeah, like you know when Jan sort of you know crazy had this crazy idea of, of doing an Ironman at home, and obviously you know very fortunate that he set up the way he is to actually even contemplate that. Um, we really thought that, you know, that's one thing, but we needed to do something a bit bigger and better um, because of it. You know, it, it, I, it's, not a, it's, a, it's not a sort of thing we're saying, you know, go and, go and do this, try this yourself. Um, and I think just, you know, with everything that was happening in the world and, and the, you know, the personal situation with us and who we had um, helping us and our family, Annie, and going back to work in the hospital, it was just a real thing that we thought, like, can we, can we help create a shift and a change and in, in, in people um, in this point in time? Like, you know, we obviously can't directly help. Well, the only way we can help is, is doing what we've been advised to do is just stay at home and, you know, um, and not spread this virus, but, you know, to, to have someone say they want to go into the forefront and, you know, throw themselves in the deep end of, of, of the virus and, and expose themselves. We, we thought, well, how, how can we just help instigate any change with, within people that could think of creative ways to help the neighbour or the, you know, like to support a local business Um, because I think as athletes we sort of know, you know, once this is over that, you know, young can go back to going about, you know, creating a race schedule when when the time permits and allows. And but a lot of people, um, you know, who who aren't living in sport are, are really being greatly affected by this. And 
And um, I think it was just, yeah, it was something that we, I guess, when you've been an athlete, you see how you can become, uh, I guess, a spokesperson for a broader range of things in in your community and 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 not just within your sport that you can maybe yeah just help spread a message that came to mind for you in a time of well that the, the whole world was essentially is going through um so yeah it was it was it was it was pretty fun actually you know in the end we we um we I think we, we all had the the typical post-race blues in the sense um Jan's manager Felix is in base in Germany and obviously was producing from from back there and um yeah there was just a sort of you know kind of race week uh, feeling afterwards but it was um you know I think it just goes to show you that everybody's going through the same thing and if we can all sort of find ways to help support each other in whichever small way that could be that's that was sort of one positive thing we were trying to you know just for ourselves as well to take out of this unusual time yeah, I mean, it was really fantastic to watch, and I think you guys end up raising hundreds of thousands of dollars or yeah, euros. Yeah, we hit, we hit um, um, a quarter of a million euros, um, yeah. and we've already started donating some of that. Um, we we really uh, utilize Loreas's uh, network and and found um, you know spoke to the head head guy from Spain and and he really filtered down to us um, contacts that we could speak to the. The heads of the public hospitals here. Um, obviously, Annie, um, she was sort of a bit further afield, and we did a bit of a project there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've had three charities that we've donated ten thousand euros to um, here in, in Girona of, of just helping people who are obviously um, in desperate need for for food, um, for sometimes even shelter, um, just just basic necessities, um, and especially um, in aged care. Uh, that's obviously an area that it's a lot of people. It's um, it's obviously the, the isolation for them, you know, they may be accustomed to having, um, you know, younger family come and help them. And given this time, it was proving very difficult. And then the hospital actually right where we look at is a, a huge public hospital for this region. And, um, they were building a whole new, um, part to basically like a step down from intensive care. Um, but they were, they're aiming to buy 28 defibrillators. Defibr- no defibrillators respirators sorry and um so we've we've uh currently bought two of them um for the hospital and um it's just yeah it's, it's been a real eye-opener as to how we can yeah help help in any which way we can given how much uh support that you know was shown to to Jan and the cause that he was you know basically trying to just you know like we said create some sort of awareness or creativity for for people to to do something small within their own realms yeah it's fantastic what you guys did and it gave you guys a i mean being sort of in lockdown it gave you a real sense of purpose too while you've been sort of you know Isn't i mean it, it, yeah for everyone it, it's just yeah it's it, you know obviously like yarn he treated it like and a big event, you know, but he was a stay at home. So it was a bit more relaxed, but he still, you know, it was a big event to actually physically do and mentally and emotionally to take you through self through that process. But I think it's one of the, one of the things when we're consulting with people now and they want to do all this kind of training or they want to get ready for a specific race. And, and I do ask them first, well, what is your reason why you want to do it? Because if your reason why is not big enough, let's not even contemplate it. Whereas yeah. you guys went about it and said, look, our reason why is 
you know, Annie, our, our, our nanny, has is, is gone, gone off prepared to go into the front lines, as you said, to take this on. And what a motivator, right? I mean, it's, it's like yeah. it, it comes from the right place. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and and that was that was the the two coming together. You know, um, a, a need of of yarns because he he always has a why. He knows his whys. Um, and then you know, Annie coming to me and saying, you know, uh, what should I do? I'm scared. I I want to go, but I don't want to get sick. And and you know, to to say to her that you know, like in one sense, you're you're fortunate you actually can help and if you're prepared to have that um you know that that's part of your caring nature and and part of being a nurse and and the way you are but if if you if you feel that um that you need to be there like by all means you go like you're um in a position to we can't and and that's what you said the why for what Jan then put in place as to you know his thoughts and emotions around you know where he at where where you know basically the plug being pulled on a on a season which many athletes are, are facing is um that whole motivation the why of, of of being able to you know do an Ironman at home for you know and and talk basically the whole way through it just became almost secondary it was just the vehicle and I think it's so important like you said for for people taking on any physical challenge um yes it is a a selfish pursuit um to a large degree but uh, you're right that that why has to be big enough that um, you you know you you look at all the encompassing factors that that go with that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I I look at you as one of the greatest uh, triathletes in the world um, that we've ever seen. And I Thanks. and I I know I don't mean to sort of put you on the spot like that, but but what I'm kind of trying to get to is you retired in 2014, and then. Your husband Jan Fredino, who also won the gold medal in two thousand and eight, decided to keep racing, and you became his sort of right hand woman um, and support role. And I, I think what a power couple when you think about it. Like if I was trying to pursue a career and I could have one of the greatest athletes in the world right at my side. So you you really that transition from being a professional athlete into the support role for Jan. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 been interesting. I mean, obviously on a personal level, um, you know, I, I really didn't get to finish my career probably the way I would have liked to. And you you know, I've I've often have joked that I live vicariously through Jan and his Iron Man um career. Um it was certainly the direction I really wanted to take um post Beijing and um but with the way it worked out and, and Jan discovering, um, you know, Iron Man for himself and, and just, you know, this sort of unexplainable itch almost that comes across you when you've been to Kona and you see that race and, and he almost, you know, it's almost like he got infected by the bug and when he decided to to change uh, basically, you know, racing short course, a two-hour event to an eight-hour event, um, I, I, I guess I sort of looked at, him from a um a point of view of like of of how can how can you do that because i i actually saw when he was racing as a short course athlete that he was much better suited to to um a longer distance race with the way he trained um he did a lot of intensity for a, for a guy but he also did a lot of volume and i could see that he worked really well off the volume if he was i guess like everything managed correctly and and i think some of the first things that i sort of suggested to him was you know 
um, you need to create a team uh, to support you. Um, if you are going to take yourself out of a Olympic funded federation, because Ironman is very different in that aspect that, um, you, you do very much become a standalone professional athlete, a bit like a, I guess, a, a tennis player. Whereas when you're in the, um, competing or buying to go to the Olympics, you're very much supported by your uh, national federation and, and somewhat, um, you know, helped and ushered and directed in a way to, to, to make you a good athlete, to make you the best. So having that um, taken away was sort of where I first saw that, you know, he could sort of potentially run into, you know, a little bit of an of unknown or lose his direction quite quickly. And so part of that team I suggested was something that um, I was fortunate in the lead up to Beijing was, you know, when I was asked what do I need to help me um, and I asked for a physio, like as, as basically as hands-on as I could get two, one to two times a day, you know, I, I said that as long as my body is in good shape, then I can put, you know, put out the sessions I need to. And, and Jan always had some niggling areas in his body that, um, that yeah, just needed constant addressing. And so that was one of the first things. And, and that was where um, Albert, who's still with him, came on board and became, you know, basically like a full-time physio for him, um, travels with us, um, you know, goes to all the races with Jan um so you know that was one thing in order to, for him to keep his body in check and keep him you know available to to train and race and 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 really limit that potential for injury and the other was sort of like looking at a coach that um you know really helped him uh look at the different components and maybe some of the the slight weaknesses that he had was just you know going that distance of 180k in a, in a time trial position Whereas, you know, that 40K adaptive, you know, sort of fast, um, short, sharp racing in a pack was was different and just uh, about training his system to to go that long and then also diet related to that too and, and diet in the sense of, you know, not changing his diet and being having necessarily a nutritionist but I just also had observed from people I knew who did Ironman that that, you know, it didn't matter how fit you were and how good a shape you were if you really didn't know how to take on your nutrition well over the course of an of a eight to nine hour race it became irrelevant and um i i really had noticed that he could you know probably work on that area a little bit more too and and made some suggestions and and again just looking to find ways that um he could adapt that in training and the type of training and, and finding a coach that he, um, you know, could invest his trust in and, 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 and feedback because Jan's also very, um, you know, loves to give the feedback and, and likes that to be taken on board. And I think that's a, an, an important relationship. So there was those sort of three factors I would say were probably the three yeah, key things and just trying to show him that, you know, what support means and, and I guess for, from my personal point of view, I also tried to do everything I could to allow him to be able to train, to be able to rest, to be able to do whatever it took for him to, to get through, you know, uh, day by day, week by week, month by month, uh, month by month, the, the training that was necessary to, to compete at the highest level on that stage. And, and, you know, we're just, I guess that's, 
all of us, you know, we, we love um, competing and, and Jan and I have always both loved big races, uh, one-day races, the, the pressure and, and also I guess maybe mentally we've probably talked about more than what I would realise even come to think about it is the, the pressure of, of competing um, on a one-day race um, and, and not only on yourself but then what happens with the expectation with when you've won um, previously and I and maybe that yeah if I think about it again um, I, I, I that's something I sort of uh, faced when I was racing in short course you know that expectation of um, you know once you've done it and people obviously wanting to see if you can do it again but how do you like you said go back to that why what how, not not about trying to fulfill other people's expectations outside is like what is my why into to what makes me think I can win more than once um and I think that's probably the biggest challenge when you're at the top is is learning how to stay there mm. I love that I love the managing of the expectations because I, I I think a bit like the way I think you and Jan operate you know, my, my wife, Laura, who you know and raced against all through sort of a lot of your career, we often talk about that and dealing with expectations and, and how do you manage manage that. And I think having a partner that understands it, that's been through it, I think is such a gift to be able to have it. How do you guys kind of manage that um, what Laura and I would would say, we, we have our career side, but then there's also our home life and our marriage and our family how are you guys do you guys put things in place how are you able to manage sort of this family life balance with the both of you obviously being fairly consumed by the sport for much of your lives it, I know with Laura she needs to take a break from it far more than I do whereas I don't know if Jan's the same I kind of I'm in it all the time even now I'm not an athlete I still love to talk about it and blah 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 whereas Laura's like whoa 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 so she's kind of taking the reins in our family and kind of backing it off what's that like for you guys um, I would say I'm probably a lot more like Laura. I've never been one to have to talk and live it and breathe it. Um, I think for me, I when I was competing, I, I absolutely I love showing up to training. I loved what I did. Um, but I guess maybe also the beauty of when we were competing is there was, you know, not there was no social media. Okay, we had a little bit and you could look up race results, but it never really interested me. I mean, I know a lot of people would, you know, talk about what other athletes were doing, but I felt for me it was almost like a distraction and it was a stress that um, didn't work well for me. I, I felt that um, if I, like you said, I found my own why and I had the, and I felt my pressure was greater than what anyone could place on me, then that was what I needed. And so I was always quite, um, I guess, quite good in the sense of that for me, it was good for me to switch off in between training. Like I, I was very much one that didn't need to um, to talk about it. And Jan probably was a little bit more like you. He was much more living and breathing it. And I would say I'm, I'm yes, yeah, still now a bit more like Laura. I'm like, you know, there's a point that I like and I need to know, but then there's a point I'm like, I just switch off and I'm like, <laughs> you, know, you know, even sometimes a name and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like not familiar because I, of course I like to keep, you know, I, I follow it with admiration, but I don't follow it through, um, I guess, you know, like having to obsess about it because that's just not how I was when I was competing either. Um, I, I guess also for the fact that we live and breathe it still in the home, you know, like that Jan is, you know, with the amount of training he's doing and um, 
yeah, the kids know when when he's working and, um, and you know, it's, it's an unusual idea of work, but it, it's good, you know. I think um, we do counterbalance each other in that sense that um, it's also a good reprieve because, you know, he's, his best friend is his manager and, um, and so they're often, you know, always talking business as well relating to the sport. So I, I guess I try to keep that sort of normal home life balance of, you know, like we are still just normal people, we are a family and, and, and making sure, and that's probably a tricky one, is just making sure we have that time to be as a family, you know, to switch off, to, you know, to, yeah, be present, be present with the kids, be present in what they're doing. And, um, and especially during this time, I think we've learned even more about that too. And, and really, um, you know, making a point of it more than anything. And just because you become aware of it. Mm. And do you ever look back? I mean, you had a long and an incredibly great career, but do you, when you retired, I think you, re- you retired in about 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. do you, do you ever kind of look back or something's go. Ah, oh, maybe, maybe I, I should have kept going. Maybe I could have given this Iron Man, this long course stuff a go. A hundred percent. And to be honest, we, Jan and I were just talking yesterday um, um, about more so about uh, from a personal level, just my body and my health and where it's come and, and how long it's taken. And um, and I guess for people who you know might not specifically know why I retired I did retire because of ill health and um and at a point where I would say I was forced to retire I I I was no longer not just an unhealthy athlete like I was not a healthy person and I had a, a virus that just depleted my immune system so badly that even prior to actually naming the virus that um the that, that cancer was basically brought up because my blood tests and, and everything about my immune system and, and the way my body was presenting, my doctor said to me once, she's like, you present as a cancer patient. Like that's how run down I was and how sick I was. And I think for me I got to a point where I was like, you know what, sport's actually irrelevant right now. Um, I don't know when it or if it's going to ever be relevant, but my number one goal and priority is actually just to be a healthy, functioning human being. Um, and, you know, that meant that was a really, really long road um, for me to recover and to be that person and to even have um, sport as a part of my life again and, uh, and being active. And so... There, there, there was definitely, um, you know, as I sort of came out of that and it took a good sort of four years to make a big shift and a big change that I could say, okay, well, I could do some, you know, reasonable exercise again that I could, you know, maybe um, not fall in a heap every two or three weeks with some sort of cold flu-like symptom that was not you know, wasn't passed on to anyone near me, was not contracted from anyone. It was just my own immune system was just so depleted. So as, you know, I definitely had some times where, you know, I I would sort of get a positive wind and be like, yes, I would love to make a comeback. I'd love to go to Ironman, which was, to be perfectly honest, was where I always had wanted to go. Um, I'd even... um, even when I was training with Brett um, and when I first, you know, went under his wing and and he took me on board, he, he said the same. I just, I knew I was a diesel engine. I've, I've known that from a very young age as a young swimmer that, 
you know, sort of 3K into the swim set, I was like, right, I'm, I'm warmed up, I'm ready to go. And the longer I went, the better I felt. Um, and, and Brett's words were, you know, like, oh, well, we'll just let you have a little play around and a go at this short course stuff. You're not actually really suited for it. And, and then when you've had your fix, you can go to Ironman. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes your reason why is also, you know, there's some little things in your back pocket. That's <laughs> um, awesome, yeah. And, <laughs> you're and, and you're not suited short. Yeah, and and I, I love the allure of, of Ironman. I loved um, the, I guess, almost the whole concept of having to do it on your own, alone, non-drafting, a long race. It was such a, I saw it as such a mental game. Um mm as well so yeah I I would say there's been a big part of me that um for a time there was a lot of this inner tussle of you know of um of unfinished business on uh, just purely within myself obviously nobody else knew that um and then like I said like almost vicariously living through yarn and and his experiences and and getting to to just to see and be a part of it in a different way um Mm. so yeah it's it's been tricky but um, but definitely not at this point. Not 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 now with how whatever you are in and what age I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's it's like I was having this conversation with Laura yesterday, and um, I said, "Do you do you miss it?" And she she said, "Yeah." I I said, "I miss the pats on the back a little bit." I'm not going to lie. And she's and I said, "What about you?" And she goes, "Yeah, maybe a little of that." And that from Laura was a lot, you know, to say yeah, that she actually did. Yeah. Laura, she did enjoy the pat on the back and and that's one thing you know it's like uh you know i look at you and and your career and we can go into a bit more about that in a moment but i kind of see you as one of these yes i think you would have with with reasonable health you would have crushed the iron man i have zero doubt i agree with brett sutton um who coached both of us at various times in our career that that yes i think you were well suited to doing the ironman and and i think sometimes it could almost be hard when you're living with somebody that's actually living maybe somewhat of what you could have been doing for yourself do you ever i mean i know you guys are a strong team oh, but do you 100%. ever yeah. but but it's but you sometimes go oh it'd be nice if i was the one also yeah. crossing the table <laughs> oh, definitely definitely days where you've just been like right i've had enough of the kids i would literally love to say that i have all my dreaming to do and just you know like not because you don't love the kids but you're just like Oh man, oh, yeah. I wish I could just you, you know, um, spend my day training and stuff. But you know, they've definitely become fewer and far between um, in that sense. And mm. um, yeah, I, I, I would definitely say there's been times where I'm like, oh, would kill to to go back to that job. It's like the best job in the world. Like there is mm. honestly, um, there is nothing better. And like you said, like the pats on the backs. I think it's something. When you're competing, you don't ever think about it, um, that you are getting this um, this outside justification of what you're doing. It's a good job. Like there's, there's not many other jobs and roles in the world that, um, that you get that, that people um, and I guess even people you least expect to follow what you do, to know what race you did, to, you know, congratulate you or say, you know, oh, wow, great job, amazing, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, like, how, think how many people, doctors and nurses would love to hear that right now. But it's, it's, <laughs> but it, it is, it's a strange concept, isn't it, that we are so fortunate. But when you step away, you're like, yeah, I, there is a part of me that, that does miss that, like, you know, you're doing a great job. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you get that immediate feedback, don't you? I, exactly. I, I think 
it's like even I, you know, starting up this podcast in this last three or four months, it's and I often ask in the show, you know, give me give me feedback if you're enjoying the show. But I actually I need the feedback also if it's not good because that's the thing with being an athlete. It's like you go race, you have a poor race, that's great feedback. You go have a great race, that gives you some feedback as well. But it's kind of doing anything else in life. It's always hard to measure. Am I actually doing this well? I mean, parenting is probably the hardest. To, yeah. you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm doing the best I can, but I, I really don't know if this is the right way to do things. So, so. so true. And, and that's definitely a huge challenge. Like it's something I would say I really had to face like that, that exactly feedback. And, and, and it's not even racist. It's every day. I mean, you think about it. When you're training, when you go back to training three or four times a day or what you know number of sessions you got feedback was it a good session was it a great did I hit my target times like Mm -hmm. that's like every day day in day out like it's it's a it's a rush it's a a feeling of completion you know and then and races and stuff are on top of that it's it's very unusual um what we sort of expect of ourselves on one hand but like you said what we're so accustomed to what is it what we feel is being accustomed to our being as well um because like you said you know when you're a parent you're like okay i'm not really i don't know (laughs) especially that age when they're finding it really hard to communicate you know they want to and you're like oh my gosh (laughs) what Brutal. It's yeah. absolutely brutal. And like like you, you mentioned. Uh, I mean, a part of a part of my career went sort of for twenty seven years. I took it as long as I could because I loved what I did. But it did get to the point at the end where my passion started to waver to do the small things, to do, to look after the body and all the injuries. And it was getting to the point, you know, I'd wake up at five in the morning, I'd have an Epsom salt bath for half an hour, I'd then do some rollers, I'd then do, um, what was it next? Yeah, some, some rollers and stretches. Then I'd head outside and I'd do an easy two to three K run walk. Then I'd come home and then I'd prepare for my main workouts. That I, and, and that was just to get my body ready yeah. to go do some hard runs. I was like, you know what, this is getting exhausting because <laughs> I couldn't just run out the door anymore. Yeah. At 44, my body, and it wasn't just a 44-year-old body. It was a 44-year-old body that had been training brutally hard yeah. for 30-plus years and it was just going, ah. Oh. But I did milk it as, as long as I could because yeah. I realized, I did realize how fortunate I was to be a professional athlete and to be able to make a, a living from it and have a career and, you know, meet my wife and get all the pats on the back that we talked about. So it was a, a great career. But I want to I want to wind the clock back and talk about your career a bit. And But I want to take it right back and just tell me, when did you, you know, first find your passion for endurance sports and, and find triathlon? I mean, I grew up as a swimmer, like from as long as I can remember, I was swimming I was training I absolutely love swimming training um and I would say I uh, oh, I mean I, I should even ask my parents at what age but you know it, it was just something that I found and like I said you know I knew as a as a young child like as a swimmer that I also loved the endurance of swimming um like I said the, the longer the session got the better I felt and I, you know, I just sort of found that um, when it was so 92, which was here, Barcelona, 92 Olympics, I, I was 11 and I literally recall sitting on the couch, uh, actually on the floor in my, in my parents' house and, and watching the Olympics and watching our swimmers and that sowed the seed about the Olympics. That was where I really saw what the world stage and what, 
I guess almost like almost like why was I training? Like what was I training for? And I just watched our Australians on the podium and was like, that's that's why I want to be an Olympian. I want to swim for my country. And that then sort of transformed slowly into my coach also recognising that I was better suited to the longer distance swimming events. And, and roughly the same time that I changed school when I was about 15, uh, he was he was basically um, you know channeling me in the direction of say of the eight hundred, which was the longest swimming um, event you could do at the Olympics, and and at that time I changed schools um, actually because I wanted to pursue my sport further. The school I was at um, you know didn't have a pool to to have with a swim team and. Um, and I actually convinced my parents to change schools and, 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 and make that a little bit more of my forefront in my, um, you know, in, in that point in my life, because they saw how driven and determined I was to, to really take it seriously. And by coincidence at that time, um, the school was obviously very encompassing about sport and hence why I went there, but so much so, and which I hadn't planned for was that you try every sport. And so I think what is it? Second term is, is cross country, um, second or third term. And it was like, no, no, it's compulsory. Everybody does house cross country. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't know how to run to save myself. Like playground. I'd played basketball as a kid, um you know always had to have my knees taped didn't think it was a particularly fun sport but I was like okay whatever we have to do it and I was like all right it's competitive well that's how I took it and my swimming fitness just shone through and I um you know I I guess I won my age in at school cross country and all of a sudden oh it it was like oh no you're going to run you know for the school and and, you know you've got to do into school competitions and compete for us and I was like sorry what I was like I came here for swimming I was like I'm not a land animal like I was like I will do any swimming event you want I will do two of them like I was just so dead against it because I was like no 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 like I'm here to swim and um and it really was through I guess the the change of school that um I was put into the cross country and we had a school uh, run coach who was actually um, the coach of some very good runners and, and none so other than Melissa Rollinson, who was the um, our steeplechaser at the time and who is now Mel Hashult, who, who came to triathlon. And um, he sort of helped foster a little bit of my running, but I didn't love it. I mean, I had shin splints, I think, for the first two years. Like I thought it was absolute agony. Um, didn't quite understand it but also this whole triathlon thing came up of you know was sort of the in sport that late um, 1990s going into 2000 Olympics uh, it was I guess just good timing and I found triathlon through a girl um, in my swim club suggested coming to um, the Noosa Triathlon because one of the people who they'd got to do the swim couldn't do it anymore and she asked would I like to um, do a relay and I was like whatever I have no idea what you're talking about she's like it's 1500 meter open water and I was like awesome this sounds so fun like all right I'm in for it and so I went up to Noosa Triathlon and I literally I think my eyes just fell out of my head I was like what is this this looks so exciting. And I I think from there I I just got in this bug. I was like, I, I want to know more. 
And I found myself, you know, the next year doing the swim and the run. And I knew already that my swimming was, you know, heading in that longer distance direction. And I was like, this this suits me more than anything to do a longer distance, more endurance um, type of event. And I figured cycling was something that was, you know, we all knew as kids how to ride a bike, that it was a skill I could um, pick up and, and went to like a local so, cycling club and they taught me about, you know, how to ride safely and etiquette and 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 then I found a tri club and, and Jenny Alcorn from the Surface Paradise Tri Club is, is still the coach there now and she was just amazing and just fostered, um, you know, young up-and-comers like myself who were just so hungry um, to to be involved in the sport and I, I would have to say like I said amazing timing in the sense that uh, the Olympics in Sydney where I got to to watch you and it just you know to to watch our Olympians um, compete was just I was like it's like my mind just switched I was like right you know I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, now I want to be an Olympic triathlete. And I was very, very new to the sport at that stage, but it was that, like I said, that Olympic dream there was was there from a very young age and it just transpired to to triathlon. That's awesome. I love that. The, the passion in your voice about the sport <laughs> and being competitive and uh, I think it's fantastic and there's, I th- I'm sure there's a lot of listeners going, yeah, yeah, I'm the same, I'm the same. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Just for people to understand the Noosa Triathlon that you mentioned, um, Anybody around the world, if there's one that you want to travel to and it's a great destination event, uh, is the Noosa, Noosa Triathlon Week. It's not just a weekend. Oh, they have a week of events and breakfast with champions and, and runs and swims. And it's just a, an incredible week in one of the most beautiful places in the world where you and I have both spent a cons- considerable amount of our time. Yeah. In. Um, and you mentioned like starting – at the Noosa Triathlon in a in a relay, I did the same thing at the mm-hmm. Nepean Triathlon back yeah. in 1985 or eighty-six. I remember my mates are like, "Greg, you you run the eight hundred meters at school, yeah, the yeah. fifteen hundred, whatever. You do the run, and the run was fourteen kilometers." Oh, I was like, "Ah, oh, crap! All right, yeah, I'll do it with you." And then we get out there, and the 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 guy on our team had a that was doing the swim had an asthma attack that morning so i had to do the swim and i'd never swum apart from going for the occasional surf yeah. so i was not a swimmer and it was only an 800 meter swim so the event was like an 800 swim 30k bike 14k run back then yeah. all the events were varying distances yeah yeah and so i did the swim and came out of the water second last and was just like yeah. <laughs> and then tag tagged my mate and he went off and did the 30k bike came back in and by this stage we were almost dead last and and then i took off for the run and I was kind of like, I finished the run and I was like, you know what? If I've done the swim and the run, there's no reason I couldn't throw that bike in the middle. I mean, yeah. surely that's the the easy bit. I'm sitting on something. So that was a bit yeah. like you. It was kind of yeah. like I got enthused by the sport by signing up as a team just to feel the energy of the sport. And then like, boom, I think it was Wollongong Triathlon or something like that that I did yeah. a few months later and was and that from ever since, that was me. That was, I was known as the triathlete in high school and that yeah, was what yeah, I did yeah. and it became my my thing. And that was well before it was ever an Olympic sport or, you know, even 
Sydney wasn't even on the cards for being an Olympic city at that point. But yep. I don't know, my, my kind of my interest in the sport grew as I got the more pats on the back. And I, I got a little side story here. I don't know if you remember, it was probably 2000 or 2001 or maybe 2002, but I remember meeting your dad at, <laughs> at the Twin Waters Resort, Novotel, uh, Nov- Novotel Twin Waters in Maruchidor, so yeah. just south of Nutsa. And I, w- I think Laura and I were there, it might have been a kids event or high school event, whatever it was, we were there helping out. And your dad very enthusiastically <laughs> came over, grabbed my arm and said, listen, can you make money doing what you're doing? Are you making money in this sport? And I was like, um, well, yeah, yes, sir. Like I just met the guy. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, you, if you're reasonably good, I said, look, you, you still need to be good at what you do. You need to try and win. But I said, um, you know, there, there's prize money, there's sponsorship, and if you're fortunate, there's even appearance money and, yeah. you know, and right, right, okay, because I have a daughter that's looking at wanting to take this on as a, a professional athlete. But, it, it, uh, but yeah. it's, it's true because I, I know like when you I knew exactly what you were going to say because my dad had a passion for basketball and, and like going and watching the Olympics as an 11-year-old, yeah, you watch sport. But, you know, I guess to my parents' era and, and not having a large sporting family or no one that, you know, had ever pursued something like this, it was very much viewed that it's a hobby, that these people had full-time jobs and somehow they trained and managed to, you know, make Olympic teams. Like it just never, ever occurred to him that there was such a thing as professional sport. And I, and I'm, and I, I think definitely people like you that had to help convince him because I, I had to try and to, to do the same. <laughs> well, then you're welcome. You're welcome, Emma. Yes, definitely. 100%. You definitely put some hard yards in for me there. And I reckon it was not until, oh, I reckon, after Com Games in Melbourne or even my third world title where my dad stopped asking me when I was going back to university. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> like, I know. I can study and get a real job. <laughs> so let's just fill in a few blanks there. And, and first and foremost, I have a very good relationship with your dad, Gary, and he's a, he's a wonderful man and uh, we've had many great yeah. evenings together on the deck at your house in yeah, Nusa. But, yeah. I, um, you know, there's a few blanks you missed out there. Yeah. So when he's saying 2006, I mean, we got to wind the clock back a bit okay, and go okay. Sorry, at 22, okay. at 22, mm-hmm. you win the world championships in, in, in uh, Queenstown, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very quick progression that had to show that, hang on, I, I have some passion for endurance sport. Mm-hmm. And I often ask guests, you know, at what point did you realize you had some talent and some strengths in the sport for you it was almost like boom here's a world title oh okay i am pretty good at this <laughs> yeah i shouldn't keep jumping ahead but um yeah i mean definitely not after the race did i ever think that or feel that i think it was such a shock to me too um you know i i finished school in 98 so i had 99 2000 you know i'd had quite a few years of working part time jobs and and trying to, you know, um, basically make junior teams for the AIS because thanks to the Sydney Olympics, we then got um, we we then got funding within the Australian Institute of Sport, and and um, I worked my way onto um, into into uh, like the, the junior development team that then for you know got support to travel overseas to come to Europe and start competing and and. Um, 
and obviously being taken under Brett's wing, I, I guess, I mean, I can't actually say a young age because I don't really, you know, no, I, I just, I, I guess I was somewhat, you know, put, thrown in there in the deep end with Brett, but there was something um, about him that helped me harness what I obviously had an, a, a passion for endurance sport, but he helped just harness that mental aspect that I needed to go with it because, yes, I was pretty green to um, triathlon and, you know, competing in the pool for an 800 metres where you can kind of see your competition underwater. It's, it's a lot more precise. Um, you practice more skill sets like your dives and your turns and, and, and pacing yourself through a race. It's, it's so much more individualistic. But then coming to a sport that then was a little bit more, um, you know, dictated by the field, the conditions, the the temperatures, you know, the swims and who was there, who wasn't, you know, I mean, geez, I knew when your wife was there, the swim was on, if she wasn't, it's like, oh, okay, I'll, you know, like <laughs> there were so many other factors that went with it. And I think I, I, I definitely was fortunate in going to into an environment um, where the athletes at the time were on the world stage. They were some of the world's best. And I just was like a sponge having to go right how are they doing what they're doing? So I think I got a real fast forward, um, uh, fast forward track into to learning some things about what it took to be the best uh, in a very short space of time. And this, like going into to Queenstown, like I, I just had no expectation at all, other than I was like my first world senior team dream come true to be competing for my country um you know I competed in Perth as an age grouper and and I loved it I loved the thrill and I think when I look back like that no expectation of result is something that I really took with me um through the rest of my career it was about putting out the best race I possibly could you know um it was never about comparison who was um, you know, what, what I could control or couldn't control, it was no, all you can do is take into control your own performance and put out your best race. Um, and after, yeah, even after Queensland and even after I remember being asked by, you know, Amanda Lullum and all the other, you know, triathlon reporters about, oh, you know, you, you, you've really put yourself in a good position to go to Athens. I was like, uh, sorry, what? I was like, no, no, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready to go to an Olympics yet. Like I'm just started. You couldn't possibly be thinking I should go to an Olympics. And I truly felt that. I really did feel that I was not ready to go. Um, but, you know, you can continue with the rest of the story and, and, and probably help people educate that a bit better as to that time of, you know, the sport in Australia as well and, and selection and where that all, all led to. and. Um, mm. Yeah, you take it right. Well, that, that, that's the thing. That's the thing when I look at your career. So, you know, for my own career, I look back and go, you know, 2000 Olympics was was a nightmare for me. I actually didn't race. I I was ranked number two in the world and been top sort of three or four in the world for the three to four years leading in. And anyway, that's a I've talked about on this show before, but it really, it was a bit of a, a sore spot for me. And then in, you know, I kind of won the 2002 and 2003 World Cup Series, was on the podium, all the races going in, and then had to prove myself again to the Australian team for selection um, for the 2004 Olympics. Fortunately, I made it and, and end up coming fourth. But it, anyway, your story is even a little bit more complicated than that because I look at your resume and three world titles, Commonwealth Games, Olympic gold medal. That's from the one Olympics you got to go to. 
And when we look at the Australian selection of that 2004 team, it is one of the craziest selections we've ever seen. Um, And I'm a big advocate of going, look, use the World Series and the rankings that you've got and just pick your team off it. Mm -hmm. The World Series spend have been dialing it in for years Mm -hmm. and you can say every Olympic cycle, look, everybody, come one year after the Games, we're going to start the the process again. The best two, three athletes on the World Series rankings are going to the Olympics. Done. Yeah. Australia decided, and and look, and, and in fairness to Australia, I don't think any country's got it right. I've watched yeah. the US, I've watched the UK, I've watched so many countries try and figure this out. But for that 04, you had the World Championships, mm-hmm. which you won in 03, which was like a December. Mm, it was early the day, December, no. yeah. And then it was like a week or two later, maybe three weeks later, was a race in a little town called Coffs Harbour, one of the most beautiful towns on the east coast of Australia, but it's a small town that we're going to have an Olympic trials race and we're going to pick a course similar to Athens. It's going to have a steep hill in it. And they didn't take into account that any great Australian at the time was focused internationally and was focused on a Northern Hemisphere season. So first and foremost, now Australians are having to come home and try and peak in the off season, right? So you have this December period. And then the second race, we're going to pick a similar course to Athens. I mean, it's going to be in Perth on the 2nd of February. And if you win either of those, you're an automatic slot. And the third person, we're going to select at random. Mm -hmm. So for for you, you've just won the world championships and you didn't just win. You won by over a minute. And I know because my wife, Laura, was second to you (laughs) and and the great McKeeley Jones from Australia was third. So it wasn't that you didn't, just win. You beat the best in the world. And McKeeley had won the test event um, at the Athens Olympics that year as well. So Australia on paper had McKeeley Jones and Emma Snowsill, Fadino, at the time. <laughs> so, so the world champion and probably one of the world's greatest ever female tri- triathletes in McKeeley Jones as well mm-hmm. um, to potentially be the team. Come to Coffs Harbour and who won that one? Tell me who won that race, Kim. Loretta Harrop. Okay, so Loretta was fine. Loretta was, we were looking at a really an amazing team with you, Loretta and McKeeley. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did you go in that race, in that trial race? I'm trying to think if I got third. I I'm, I have to go back as well to have a good look. I, I think I got yeah. third. I, yeah, so it wasn't terrible, not like mine where I DNF'd and was just rolling my bike off the course. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we go to, to Perth and... Again, all of this is got to be taken into account, the fact that it was the wrong time of year and and that what are we doing racing 12 months of the year? So it was a really – and then a young girl by the name of – wasn't – sorry, that the the World Championships in Queenstown wasn't Olympic selection was also, I guess, fairly unusual because we often – Absurd. (laughs) <laughs> you know the, the 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 pinnacle of the year of, of when people can put, can you know perform yeah it was it was and definitely I think the thing was the beauty was that I was so new to the sport and really didn't know and understand this fully and completely either um mm-hmm. but I'll continue with this story yeah we got to Perth and yeah it, got to Perth and it was a young Maxine Sear right she yeah. was she won the race Yep. I think she was 18 years of age, um, yeah. terrific girl in her own right. So, Maxine, if you're listening, I'm not ra- bragging out. And, you know, you 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 followed the process and, and you did what it took. Um, my my issue with all of it was the process itself. It, yeah. was, it was poorly put together. And then the third spot 
then could be selected by the selectors. Mm-hmm. And who did they pick? They picked uh, Rena Hill. Mm-hmm. And again, Rena, if you're listening, good friend as well, but so and an outstanding athlete. But when we look on paper at the team that Australia could have had at that Olympics, it, it really was extraordinary um, with what was ended up. Did you feel – were you despondent or bitter about that or were you still kind of like whatever? Um, I mean, you know, I think for me I actually really felt um, probably more disheartened by the fact they didn't take McKeeley because, as you said, um, of her prior results, um, she had won on the um, on the test event. She obviously had got silver um, in Sydney and I thought, well, you know, out of out of – a young green, well, two young green athletes in in um, in Maxine and I, and someone who has proven on the world stage, big competitions, experience. I I definitely felt that McKeeley, um would have been the most sensible, the most you know knew knew what to do. So I think um, I was not bitter or or upset at the fact you know Maxine got picked because again, like I really did feel like I was. Um, not ready for the for the games, and I think exactly for the even the reasons you stated that the way the selection also was was so dictated to an Australian season where we'd all be told to prime and prep and 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 prepare for a northern hemisphere based triathlon season. It's very hard to you know be at the peak in December um, and then try to keep that going because it's you know you, you can only hold form for so long and. Um, I just, yeah, I, I was very much of the opinion that it really should have, um, that McKeeley was the correct one. And I did feel, um, more or less, mm. yeah, just a little bit confused as to the, the whys and the hows as to why it was all, you know, the way it was mm. put together. Yeah. It's been, it's, it's been a bumpy process for many federations yeah. over yeah. many, many years. And I don't know that any have still got it right. I remember, I remember saying to the USA, uh, selections back before 2012 when Laura was getting ready for, for that Olympics trials. Mm-hmm. And um, and they had a potential team, and I said this to the US High Performance Director at the time, I said, you pick a team. You pick uh, Sarah McClarty, who is the yeah. best swimmer in the world yeah. by far, Sarah Haskins and Laura Bennett. Yeah. You do not announce to the world until the very, very last minute that that's the team, so yeah. four weeks before the Olympics, whatever it is, the very, very last moment, yeah. you have them all train quietly and then they swim and bike and run you know, together for six months. And I said, you will get America at least the gold medal, potentially more um, with that team. Yeah. I said, have some balls. And I said, it's about getting that gold medal. Let's figure it out yeah. and grow some balls. I remember telling you to grow some <laughs> balls, which I'm not sure you really – appreciate it but in the u.s culture it's all about olympic trials people love olympic trials yeah, it's yeah, whether it's the marathon or it's swimming trials or they people even go around i made olympic trials yeah 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 and i, I and it's something in australia we'd never heard of before making olympic trials we're like what are you talking about you go to the trials to make the olympics exactly I mean, yeah yeah we don't care that. about trials yeah and uh so i remember you know for the u.s it's always been no we need to have at least one race that's Fair for everybody. And I said, well, fair for everybody mm-hmm. is not fair for your best. Mm-hmm. Your best making Gwen Jorgensen jump through hoops to make the Olympics in 2016 is crazy. Yeah. The girl, 
she went two years straight undefeated. Yeah. Put her on the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, Katie Zafaris now just won the World Series last year for the US. Mm-hmm. She's still not on the US Olympic team, even though the Olympics have been postponed. But I'm like, hang on, the girl's gone third in the World Series, second in the World Series, first in the World Series the last three years. And you're still not putting – she's still got to jump through hoops? Yeah. Are you crazy? I think so that's my point of view anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree, particularly in endurance sport. And, and it's like I said, if I think, you know, you, you see why it's so important in, a, say, in a swimming point of view, you know, where it's an enclosed environment. And, yes, you're determining between, you know, hundreds of a second. Uh, it is necessary to have tri- trials to to see who is the best because you are splitting hairs literally in you know, milliseconds. But mm. – um, but I think in endurance sport, I, I, I totally agree that there's so many other factors that need to be taken into account and to the point that it, some people see it as being confusing. But I think when you have been an athlete and you see and you, you see how athletes prepare and, and they need to build up and they need a season, like you, it, it makes sense to us. But unfortunately, yeah, it does become very clouded and um, very political when it comes to selection. Mm, I agree with you. So I just want to move on a little bit of that because I don't want to get too political with with yeah. the sport and my opinions. <laughs> but it, it, it just one one thing quickly on that 03 victory. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Chris McCormack on the show, and, yeah. and you know what he's like—a very colourful macker, and the way he describes things just fantastic. But he was describing when he won world champs in '97 Perth um, mm-hmm. that he had a severe case of imposter syndrome. That he felt that he was almost didn't belong at that. Did you feel that kind of a thing in 03? Were you a little bit like, whoa, I don't know if I should be here? <laughs> 100%. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's why I say why yeah. I didn't feel like I was in that position to be on an Olympic team yet because mm. I I felt like I still had to earn my stripes. And to a large degree, I, I really second-guessed myself for a long time. Like, was it a fluke? Could I do it again? Um, you know, did everyone just have a bad day? Um, I, yeah, I don't belong here yet because it was a, it was a quick rise. Um, mm. and, and definitely took me by surprise. And I think that was probably even something Brett maybe even put in my head that, you know, like it would need time and, and it did. And even though he primed and, and, and prepped us, you know, to, to compete when, when we needed to at, at the highest level. But, um, yeah, I, I did. I, that's a good way to put it, imposter syndrome. And, and <laughs> I love that when he said yeah, that. I was like, <laughs> and, and, and that did become part of my why as to why I, what I went into other world championships, um, mm. not to prove to anyone else, to prove to myself that it wasn't a fluke the first time mm. round. Um, yeah, so let, let's look at that. Let's, yeah. I mean, I just quickly looked at your, your ITU um, on, on triathlon.org mm-hmm. and your results, and I just looked at between the start of 2005 mm-hmm. to 2010, mm-hmm. there were 31 ITU races. Mm-hmm. There are 25 podiums, okay. 16 wins. And of those 16 wins, there's three world ti- well, two world titles because you'd already won the one, two world titles, a Commonwealth Games, and an Olympic gold. There's one fourth, one sixth, and one twenty-fifth. Okay. And three and three DNFs. Mm-hmm. That little window of your life there <laughs> is really, really remarkable. It's extraordinary. It truly is. And and including in there, you've got you were racing in the US with me, a lot of the lifetime fitness yep. races that you're winning, Minneapolis and New York. Um, you're winning constantly and then two high v's and mm-hmm. for people that don't know high v is a supermarket chain in the northwest of the usa that sponsored a, a one-off event in des moines iowa and had the 
150 to $200,000 prize wins for the winners there. Um, and it was a World Cup for many years and then it became a non-drafting race from 2011 on. But you won that one several times. So that window, that window, it was almost like after winning your world title in 03, it looks like 04 you were dealing with, I think you you had, do you have stress fractures or yeah. some injuries? Yeah, I think, yeah. In 04. definitely. Like we talked yeah. about extending the season a bit too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you know, I remember after the second selection trial in 04 in Perth, I was, uh, I was injured for months mm-hmm. and I trained for eight weeks for the Olympics. I had to hide my injury the whole time, but it was yeah. just, like we said, yeah, extending the season. But, yeah. but then let's not talk about the – the injury yeah, so much yeah. and let's tell me about that 05 to 2010 and just tell me about the the team around you and how you were able to make that happen and the consistency that you had is just absolutely extraordinary i i think the some of the first things is going back to that win of of you know proving to myself um that it was not a fluke and that trans and and that transpired to when you said, was I bitter about missing Athens? I wasn't bitter. I used that situation and I said to myself from there on in, um, and I literally, I think I, I, I was almost like not a motto, but I, I really recall often thinking I'm going to make sure that there are no questions. So next time around when Olympic selection comes around, there will be absolutely no question as to whether or not they can take me. Um, and, and you can say, you know, that was a part of my motivation. Um, there was certainly something in that, that not through proving people wrong or because I was angry or bitter, it was just about, right, this was a really unclear process. Um, the only way I can see that you can go and to make it as clear cut as possible is just give them no reason not to take you. And 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 to me that was just basically simplifying it down to its simplest form and whenever I put myself on the start line, that's what I needed to do. And whether it was a selection race or not, it was any race. And it came back to, you know, why I loved competing too is that I, I love to find what I could do on race day. Um, to me... I, I loved the training, I loved hard training, but I always felt that there was no point in all this hard training if I didn't put it together on race day. And and that's a different component. I think a lot of athletes don't even necessarily get that right because you see a lot of great athletes in, in training and, and you put them on the racetrack or in the start gun and you just think, where did they go? Like what happened? Um, and I think I was very fortunate in the fact that I just – I love that pressure, that putting that pressure on myself to race. And part of understanding that was was just knowing that it was consistency. And and for me, um, consistency was about, you know, not being injured, not being sick. And how could I, you know, manage that as best I could? And and that five years you talked of was the best five years I had in the sense of, you know, not being injured and not being sick. And and that just created a base and a framework for me um, to be able to make my own decisions as to what was best for me. And, and I, I certainly went a little bit against the grain. Um, I actually took myself off funding um, from, the, from Triathlon Australia um, to a degree that 
I wanted to make those decisions myself and not necessarily be told um, when and where to be doing training camps with other people because I had often trained, um, you know, a, quite a bit on my own. Um, had a training partner in Liz Blatchford um, when I was back in Australia. And, and with Brett's group, it was so international um, that I also thrived on, on being around the world's best and seeing that. So there was, there was a lot of things in that time um, that helped, helped support me and also helped me support my own decisions, I guess, in, in that regard um, that I very much felt um, I maybe was a little bit different to the way other people would like to do it, but I also held myself responsible in the sense that, I mean, I do recall even having a conversation with our performance director and, and butting heads to a degree about him wanting me to, you know, come into events in and to races, sorry, um, and, and to training camps there. And, and I was like, look, I, I understand what you want, but you're also not the one accountable at the end of the day if I don't perform the way I want or which is also beneficial to you. And I always said that, look, I will do it my way first and if it doesn't work, then I will try your way. But if we do it the other way around, then we've got really nothing else to fall back on, do we? And I think those sorts of, yeah, accountability, um, creating a team around me of people that I knew worked well for me and um, and that was, you know, at times a combination of physios, osteopaths, acupuncture. I was very much um, always seeking to, to make myself better, to be better, to make sure that I was recovering the best, that I was, yes, training is one part of it and training the best but showing up for each of those training sessions in the best shape possible too. And, and I think there's a window that you can really grasp if you, in any athlete, you probably can see if you look at a lot of athletes, those sort of capture those windows where um, everything seems to be working well. And, and just that, um, that desire for not, uh, it's a tricky one, not saying that you want, want more, but always just looking for that extra little bit and and how and that might not be meaning running more kilometers or swimming more kilometers it's how can I be stronger in the water um how can I be you know be fitter in that aspect of bike to run um you know where where are my weaknesses and just you know it that's the beauty of our sport you, you always felt like it was this balancing act that you kind of get one going really good and then then the runner drop off a little bit but you know when you're running really good you weren't swimming as good it was like you know and it was it's almost addictive um and for me that was that was really about like I said creating a team um asking for help asking um you know for advice I I I just felt like I also had a lot of athletes that I was sort of like in this in-between generation like I wasn't quite with you know you I was sort of like in between you know your generation and the one behind me I was sort of like we always we all feel like that actually (laughs) but I I mean you probably say the same like I feel like I was always surrounded by by some of the world's best at different times and would just ask questions and see what they were doing and I mean when you reminded me about I think it was an LA triathlon and we shared a room and you woke up, I don't know how many hours before the race, and you were rolling and triggering. And triggering. I'm like, Are you joking? I was like, 
come on, we should still be sleeping. Like, and we'd be doing, remember we did our, like, warm up in that dodgy, like, 15 little meter pool in, I don't know, yeah. back in yeah. LA. And, oh, like, you know, but. That's great I, memories, though. I do remember I had one of those trigger point rollers for people. Yeah. With, yeah. And I was rolling, and, and one of the wheels had a bit of a, yes. a, noise, a noise to it. You're going, crook, 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 and you go, you're trying to sleep. I was like, yeah. Oh. yeah. But that's it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, all those sorts of things I took on board. Yeah. And what are the little things that people do that they need for them to make them better? What are those things that I need for me? you know I was I was I needed a lot more sleep than some of my other athletes that I raced against and um and I just yeah I really set about that was my intention honestly um from 2000 to uh, 2004 to 2008 and again like I mean I did start coming a little bit undone in 2009 and getting injured and 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 just you know um, not listening to my body the way I knew I should have and and it it truly did it did come back to bite me in the bum. Mm. But I love you know one of the things I've I've learned on this show with with so many champions like yourself coming on is that there's this common dom- denominator denominator excuse me <laughs> where everybody kind of goes they they're very passionate about what they want and they really identify that they've got some talent and strength that's when they really realize hang on i'll do this sport but the 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 key difference seems to be that these athletes then take 100 percent responsibility for their own lives their thoughts their choices their actions yeah and you've just spelled that out exactly with your conversation with the australian sports director i think his name was bill daverin at the time from australia um and it was like look bill let me Go about it the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, look, if I screw up, it's back on me. Yep. Look, we're both going to, you know, so it's like this, I, nobody's going to care about me exactly. more than me exactly. at the end of the day, yeah. you know, yeah, so yeah. Definitely. I, I love that. I love that. And so those coaches you had during the time, um, so you were with Brett Sutton for a number of years, right? Yes. What years were you with Brett? Early, so it was like May 2002 to actually just after Athens. He quit after Athens. So, oh, just a couple um, of years then. Yeah, yeah. So just, yeah, just just a little touch over two years. And he, he quit um, coaching for a time. And um, it was interesting because, you know, I was left to my own devices and um, – and really took on um, board what he, you know, had shown me, what I knew about the training we were doing. Um, but at that time when I went back to Australia, I started using Dennis Cottrell as my swim coach. And at the time he was, you know, a, well, the world's best um, coach of, of our 1500 metre swimmer, Grant Hackett. And, and I figured, well, you know, if there's anyone who knows how to teach anyone how to swim 1500 metres well, that's him and I need that for a key 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 point in my race um and he really became a um a sounding board for me um even though he knew nothing about triathlon he he certainly knew how to read um an athlete and and understand you know the dynamics of of an endurance sport too um I was with Craig at the time and he was also a, um a sounding board of mine he was he was also had competed and um and was still competing for a part of that time and had uh, implemented you know a key session uh, a key running session into into Brett's program that I'd basically adopted and adapted to what I felt suited me and um 
And again, I just, I, I never stopped asking other athletes around me as to, you know, what they were doing. But I, I did become very, um, yeah, I guess almost very set in my ways of, of how I would train. And, and, and often I, in that period, I would train a lot on my own. Um, I did mention Lizzie Blatchford when she was back in Australia, um, that we would often, um, tee up together because we'd trained together under Brett as well. And, and we're really good training partners. And she was actually a very instrumental part in my, um, in my pre Beijing, uh, training camp. She, she came and trained with me for a good five weeks in the, in the United States. And, um, and yeah, just was just my, my training partner basically and her and I and she was there every swim session every every run every bike and um and I owe a great deal to her for you know basically putting her a bit of her career on hold at that time because she didn't make the team for um for the UK um she did go and have an awesome uh us race season after that which was really cool to see but um it was just yeah having the people around you that um you know worked for me and it was a small number but it was like you said that accountability that responsibility of of taking on and and listening to yourself as to you know knowing what you need and and be willing to try if it doesn't accept that how do i how do i find the next um you know resource to to fulfill what i need You've mentioned your team and things several times through yeah. this chat, and and it's one of the things that when we work with we consult with a few people is the first thing we like to do is try and build their team and get an understanding of their home life as well because their team starts at home, so your partner, your your kids or whatever, and mm-hmm. and see how we can get the whole family involved in a training program. But I've often said on this show that you know it's one thing to have. Um, experts in your team but they also need to want the best for you and we surrounded ourselves with a team of people that were not only the best at what they do you know Marcus Mejias who I think you know is a massage therapist in Boulder or our bike mechanics or our dry needling or whoever we're using they're also people that would drop anything to help us when we needed it and so that that kind of a person that wants and Mark Allen said it great though when when I interviewed him and we, we chatted and he said look it's amazing how much better your team gets the better you get how, how much how much more willing people are ready to drop what they need to, to be a part of your journey but you know we've we've talked about team and i just want to quickly touch on you mentioned craig i should mention craig walton uh was your partner for a while there and and craig walton one of the most phenomenal triathletes of a generation include especially swim bike um, mm-hmm. i raced him so many times, um, I can't tell you how many times I had to try and run run him down, but just a phenomenal athlete in his own right. So I just want to quickly point that out. And we've, we've spoken about the team. You, you've mentioned, you know, you sleep, you need a lot of sleep. We've we've talked about the, your body work and, and, you, and your health. One, one thing I really want to just get to before I'll let you go is, is your mental approach to some of these key races. And, and you, you have touched on it um, in terms of expectation and things, but were you working on visualizing or word affirmations or did you train any mental strategies or is it just kind of like I'm winging it and this no, is how I'm going to do it? I would it? say I was very much a visualization sort of person. Um, so I think I even practiced that in training at certain times, I guess in those tough sessions. Um, it's almost like I you know, created a nemesis, let's say, if there was a hard run session um, where you were just, you know, you had to be at the limit. 
there was a couple of uh, sessions where I, I almost had like this imaginary person, you know, I'd imagine I was in a race when the going was getting tough, like what would I, what would I, what would I see? What would I feel? And then what would I be saying? And for me, the visualization was very much pre-race when I knew the course, when I'd seen it. Um, I would almost like play the race in my head a few times to the point where I would want to play it and then stop thinking about it. So it didn't take any more energy. So I'd practice like, you know, how the start was, where I wanted to be on the pontoon, how I want to feel in those first 200 meters, you know, all the ideal situations. And I'd often go through like plan A, B and C. So I'd be like, okay, best case scenario, I want to be with Laura going around that first can. If I'm there, I've got to stick with her either on her hip, on her feet. And once we get to like that 300, 400 meter mark when the pace and that lactic acid is like through everybody, you know, can I, I, I need to find my rhythm, I need to settle into it and I want to be with that front pack coming out of the swim. And I would go through basically rate plan A, um, be in the front pack of the bike, be, you know, um, dictative on the bike, be in a good position, safe position, get off on the run, you know, um, bolt out a transition and, and just try and, you know, hold on for dear life with whatever I had left. Plan B would be, you know, other scenarios, didn't get out first. Mm-hmm. Plan C being, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of nowhere, I'm in the back getting off the bike, I'm in whatever, 30th, I've got to run through the field. So I'd go through all those things so when the race unfolded, it wasn't um, a shock. It was like, right, it was just a matter of like reverting to, okay, plan A, B, not working, let's go see. Sometimes it was like plan D, didn't quite, you know, think of that one, but you know what, let's just go with it, you know. So I think that was, that was very worked really really well for me because often you know when you're under pressure like that um and things are got not going right that's when people throw the baby out with the bathwater because they don't know how to adapt to a new scenario um so I would say that part of visualization was very important um and that ability to go through the race but then switch off and conserve my energy and then in training and then obviously through the race I very much became single focused on the moment um, and would have little cues, little mantras, little words that I would sw- say. So, for instance, um, <laughs> something that, uh, with Dennis um, was, you know, with, with swimming was long and strong, long and strong. Like, you know, when we'd be doing 50s on a Friday morning and I'd just be, you know, fighting to go fast. He's like, stop trying to go fast. Just think long and strong, long and, you know, so that became my thing in the swim was like, you know, um, long and, and it would just be, it'd be like a chant almost in my head through the swim was like, yep, long and strong. And um, and the bike was, was often about being safe and positioning, um, you know, trying to relax the heart rate when it was possible. And sometimes I would literally like tell myself to breathe. I'd be like, breathe breathe <laughs> yes yes oh, i know that <laughs> it's hilarious like but it's and it's something like even now when you say it, you think oh my gosh that sounds so ridiculous but um 
and particularly when it came down to the run and and practicing those really hard run sessions I mean I think I basically went between breathe breathe relax relax turn over turn over I mean that's 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 pure I love it I love it you're a woman of my own heart you you, you are speaking my language with all of this I love it but Keep it's, it's someone's own yeah. you know but it, it, yeah. at the end of the day like you you're forcing your body to do something your mind is saying what on earth for like I'm at my limit and the body's only going to follow what the mind says and for me it was just going back to those cues and reminding myself I'm like breathe okay yeah breathe okay oh all of a sudden you feel the oxygen you know you you know that lactate building up I can I can help dissipate that okay turnover turnover my running was based off high cadence like find my cadence find my turnover just you know and and the more those two went hand in hand and then the relax was my hands like I ran with little sticks and that was to stop my shoulders creeping up around my ears because then I'm tense and I'm holding my breath and I'm not breathing. Um, and my hands, you know, then my feet then followed my hands. And they were just like honestly the most simple cues and, and honestly chants that I was like, um, actually, no, there is one more. <laughs> I remember really hard runs was I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful. <laughs> I love it. And it would be, that, I'd start a run just being in absolute hurt box and just being like, right, I feel good. And it was just turning that narrative around like, yeah, I am dead tired. My legs are killing me in this warm-up, but I've said about this is a session I want to do. Okay, it might not be the world's best session today, but it's about making it count today and let's just try and do what I can. And, and that was my, yeah, that was my other one. I forgot about that one. <laughs> I, I think that's the best five minutes I've had on this show so far on all the, on, on all the interviews I've done or chats, let's not call them interviews. Let's call them chats. But I love that because it's one of the areas that I, I think, and I've mentioned in a few episodes that, you know, for my own career, it was really when I started visualizing well and using affirmations well mm-hmm. that I changed my winning rate you know, from sort of eight to ten percent to closer to fifty percent, one in two races. There for the similar kind of period, you were doing very well. That 05 to yeah. 2010, 11, I had that period where it was just like boom, I could I could win races and win them often. And a lot of that was because of my my work at visualizing. And you yeah. you kind of said, you know, you you made up these characters. I, I used to just have a I was a commentator, you know, and I'd yeah. have all these people, and I'd be commentating myself in the third person, and then I'd have. Peter Robinson and Craig Walton and blah, blah, you know, Simon okay. Lessing and whoever yeah. it was. Yeah. And I'd visualize. And wasn't it incredible when you'd visualize something mm. and then it happened? And it happened exactly how you thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And that doesn't even mean it happened once where I didn't even win. But I remember Peter Robinson, three time world champion from Australia. And he used to race by doing massive surges on the run. Mm-hmm. And he'd always do about three of them until he cracked the field. And I visualized him doing three surges on me and then coming over him on the fourth, uh, hitting him with a fourth one. Yeah, yeah. And it happened at the Minneapolis, Lifetime Minneapolis that year. It was a big 200 grand win or whatever. And, and Robbo went away. And I think Whitfield, Simon Whitfield still might have beaten me at the sprint or whatever on that one. But I remember just going, oh, I was so excited in the race that I'd actually visualized this exactly happening. And I couldn't wait to tell him post-race. He was like, he's just looking at me like, what? What are you on about? You're like, you're in your own little world. And you're like, yes, I am. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Emma, this this has been great. No, thank you. No, it's been a joy. There's obviously a lot more we could talk about. We could talk about your training and specific Olympics and Commonwealth Games feelings and emotions, and I, and I would love to touch all of that. But I, 
I really do appreciate your time with the three kids, or I should say two kids, because Jan. <laughs> <laughs> he's a teenager, you know, like they. He's a teenager. They can do a lot, but they choose not to. <laughs> you got the toddler, you know. <laughs> I love that they can do a lot, but they choose not to. <laughs> I'm always the one making light of situations and uh, I know. I'm sure. <laughs> are you getting back to Noosa at all, you guys, or are you kind of at your owner's home now? Uh, yeah, definitely not at the moment and, and particularly, yeah, now, now we mm. you know what the travel scenario is. So, um, yeah, mm. no, it's definitely Girona um, is home for the time being and, um, yeah, it's, it's also been good, honestly, as much as I love Australia, I love Noosa, I miss it dearly. Um, yeah, not travelling, uplifting um, mm. kids. We, we've certainly get a lot more time, um, you know, together as a family. We've, we've spent a lot of time apart and um, it's just been good. It's been good to settle, settle in one place and, um, and yeah, just get, get quality time too that comes with that. Yeah, it's funny. I think the last time we saw you, was in Noosa, and you had just travelled from Girona to Noosa. For people that don't know, that's like two days of travel. It's a hell trip. <laughs> and with a with a, how old was I think? Sienna. Sienna was only she was Sydney's actually. She was nine months old, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and Luca would have been what two and a half, yeah, maybe. Two and a half, yeah. <laughs> and you did it on your own. Oh, I've done many trips back and forth. I think that was probably that's probably more the reason why we don't go back is because oh. I would say nine out of ten times I've done the trips with uh, yeah two kids on my own and I don't know how you did it. I do not know. Say I was tired was a, probably a bit of an understatement. I'd, oh, um, yeah. Jan's got it easy from these Ironmans. <laughs> yeah, Tell you what, I mean. mate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the easy one buddy i'm sorry mate i'm on emma's side on this one i'm sorry to man up on you on that one <laughs> it's so uh, true it's such a different energy uh, it's, uh, yeah well yeah. i look forward to getting it back over we did get to oh, see you guys no, once a couple of years ago in um, Girona. it's just a magnificent part of the world where you guys live and and you guys have set yourselves up really well there and, and got a nice home and and i hope you've settled in because i'm married to a foreigner as well and we we got to get used to living where they want to live as yeah, well i know, uh, and, I know it's and we do get homesick homesick from time to time but um this has been fantastic Emma. i really really appreciate it and um you got any sort of gear recommendations or anything you want to suggest or any are you running nutrition program anymore i know you're studying nutrition no no it's it's definitely something that um it's just a passion it's just a passion of mine and um being in Girona, i'm yeah, I'm going to try and put a little bit out there. It's it's this virus has obviously changed things, but um, I think it's something that I would just want to share a little bit more now. Like you said, being in one spot, um, knowing a bit more what we want to do. But oh gosh, no, I don't have anything to plug other than no. <laughs> other than when you retire, get a gravel bike. It's the best fun you'll ever have on two wheels. <laughs> a, a what bike? A gravel bike. Oh, a gravel bike. I thought that when, when I was there, I was riding your electric bike. Yeah. That oh, was no. oh, yeah. No, I, I have to say I'm very, very, very fortunate with my with my bike set up in the garage. I have the electric bike just to get the kids in the trailer up the hill home. Uh, like <laughs> I remember that was the only time I dropped yarn so yeah. easy. We were riding back from the village. So I'm like, see you, buddy. <laughs> oh, no, it's the best. But, uh, no, the gravel bike's pretty much like a road bike set up, but 
you can just pretty much nearly take it mountain biking and um yeah that's something in Girona that we've discovered just um the trails and the the paths that are off the road is just phenomenal it's um it's truly truly a lot of fun so it's a good good way to get out and see see the world too yeah, well, you've picked two amazing places to live between yeah. Noosa and Girona. I'm telling you, it doesn't yeah. get much better. And and where can people follow you on um, Instagram and Twitter oh, and these things? Oh gosh, any anybody that knows me knows me. <laughs> There's not a lot to follow, but Instagram. Oh, well, you did have banana bread up the other day. I, uh, that that went that went viral. I think yeah, your banana bread. Yeah, went. well, I I, I, um, I can definitely say that if people are coming to Girona, they'll be able to taste that soon. Um, so. Yeah, a few few little things in the pipeline. So, um, oh, good, yeah. good on you. A little coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Good on you. So oh, that sounds to, great. Time to to put it out there, and like you said, it seemed it seemed to have gone really well on social media. So it was a bit of a, a tick. Like, yep, there. Hopefully, will be a place for it here. Yeah. So is it at Emma Fredino or Emma Snowsill? What, what do you go by? On? I think it's Emma Snowsill. <laughs> Emma Snowsill. I'll put it. In, I'll put it in the show You'll notes and link, links. Um, so if people want to follow you or look more up about the banana bread they'll know where to go and and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what you guys have got in the future and um normally at this point i'd say what does 2020 have in store yeah. for you but i think i think a lot of people are just sort of it's like we've all hit the pause button we're yeah, like yeah. i don't know yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get back to you on that one yeah, yeah exactly. all right everybody well thank you everybody so much for listening this has been a real treat emma i'm really glad we got to spend some time together and just chat and and i know you've been busy so i really appreciate you fitting me in and um stay on the line and anybody that wants to check out this i'll have it on bennettendurance.com slash podcast and you can watch on your listen to you on your app of choice but all right thank you everybody thanks a lot for listening to be with champions if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon. <laughs>